Welcome to the Alcoholics Anonymous Big Book Workshop. In this episode, two recovered alcoholics break down one chapter of the basic text of Alcoholics Anonymous line by line. Find out more at ladiesbigbook.com. Thank you for listening. Okay, so chapter six into action. Having made our personal inventory, what shall we do about it? We've been trying to get a new attitude a new relationship with our creator, and to discover the obstacles in our path. We have admitted certain defects. We have ascertained in a rough way what the trouble is. We have put our finger on the weak items in our personal inventory. Now these are about to be cast out. This requires action on our part, which when completed will mean that we have admitted to God, to ourselves, and to another human being the exact nature of our defects. This brings us to the fifth step in the program of recovery mentioned in the preceding chapter. This is perhaps difficult, especially discussing our defects with another person. We think we've done well enough in admitting these things to ourselves. There is doubt about that. In actual practice, we usually find a solitary self-appraisal insufficient. Um, And just to make a comment, this is just because, like, I'm so used to being dishonest with myself. Like it's, it's, it's when I'm drinking, it's impossible for me to be honest with myself. And so doing this with another person, especially another alcoholic who, who has done this work before, who's lived this life before, um, who has the same problem as I have and who's um, working the same solution that I am. um, They'll be able to help me to um, better see my defects of character. Um, and to to help me to be completely honest. Um, Many of us thought it necessary to go much further. We will be more reconciled to discussing ourselves with another person when we see good reasons why we should do so. The best reason first, if we skip this vital step, we may not overcome drinking. Time after time, newcomers have tried to keep to themselves certain facts about their lives. Trying to avoid this humbling experience, they have turned to easier methods. Almost invariably, they got drunk. Having persevered with the rest of the program, they wondered why they fell. We think the reason is that they never completed their house cleaning. They took inventory all right, but they hung on to some of the worst items in stock. They only thought they lost their egoism and fear. They only thought they had humbled themselves, but they had not learned enough humility, fearlessness, and honesty in the sense that we find it necessary until they told someone all their life stories. And so it's one of the things I remember when um, I met with my sponsor to do my fifth step was she basically, she told me there's nothing you can tell me that I haven't heard or done myself. There's no, there's no surprises. And that's one of the best things about meeting with another alcoholic and doing this is, um, you know, they're, they're an impartial third party. They're, they're there to listen to us and to provide us with feedback, um, in order to help us. They're not there to judge, um, which I, I, you know, I really appreciated. More than most people, the alcoholic leads a double life. He is very much the actor. To the outer world, he presents his stage character. This is the one he likes his fellows to see. He wants to enjoy a certain reputation, but knows in his heart he doesn't deserve it. The inconsistency is made worse by the things he does on his sprees. Coming to his senses, he's revolted at certain episodes he vaguely remembers. 
These memories are a nightmare. He trembles to think someone might have observed him. As fast as he can, he pushes these memories far inside himself. He hopes they'll never see the light of day. He is under constant fear and tension. That makes for more drinking. Um, so when I read this, it was like, it's insane because this was written in the 30s. And think, so many things have changed. We have the internet, we have cell phones. Um, but the alcoholic um, and the solution have remained the same. Like after a spree, I remember thinking, oh my gosh, uh, what did I post on Facebook? Or who did I text? Who did I call? I hope I didn't um, talk to this person. Um, I hope I didn't leave my house. Um, which like I frequently I, I did and I just didn't remember. Um, so like um, this whole paragraph is a description of me as an alcoholic, 100%. Um, I, I want to live up to who I think I am, but I have this, um, I have my alcoholism and it, it prevents me from, from doing that. I, I'm constantly disappointing myself. Um, and then I drink over those things too, which is, um, funny. Um, I'm doing this, the thing, the thing that, um, terrifies me the most, um, getting drunk and doing stupid things. Um, I get drunk because I got drunk and did stupid things. Psychologists are inclined to agree with us. We've spent thousands of dollars for examinations. Um, we know but few instances where we have given these doctors a fair break. We have seldom told them the whole truth, nor, we have, nor have we followed their advice. Unwilling to be honest with these sympathetic men, we were honest with no one else. Small wonder why many in the medical profession have a low opinion of alcoholics and their chance for recovery. Like how many of us have had therapists while drinking and we're not honest about how much we were drinking? Um, like I'm raising my hand. Um, my poor therapist, um, I was so dishonest with her. Um, I never told her that I drank. Um, I just essentially told her all that was wrong in my life and, and um, could never figure out why therapy wasn't helping me and, and she couldn't figure out why she couldn't help me. Um, pretty funny. We must be entirely honest with somebody if we're to expect to live, a long, live long or happily in this world. Rightly and naturally, we think well before choosing the person or persons with whom to take this intimate and confidential step. Those of us belonging to a religious denomination, which requires confession, must, and of course, will want to go to the properly appointed authority whose duty it is to receive it. Though we have no religious connection, we may still do well to talk with someone ordained by an established religion. We often find such a person quick to see and understand our problem. Of course, we sometimes encounter people who do not understand alcoholics. If we cannot, or rather would not, uh, do this. We search our acquaintance for we search our acquaintance for a closed mouth, understanding friend. Perhaps our doctor or psychologist will be the person. It may be one of our own family, but we cannot disclose anything to our wives or to our parents, which will hurt them and make them unhappy. We have no right to save our own skin at another person's expense. Such parts of our story we tell to someone who will understand, yet be unaffected. This rule, uh, the rule is, we must be hard on ourselves but always considerate of others. So these couple of paragraphs have told us how to find um, someone to do our fifth step with. And back when this book was written and being sent to people um, who um, 
requested the book, um, there were not people around, um, other alcoholics who have recovered, who would be able to take them through the steps. Um, and so it's kind of giving us choices of who we may be able to go to, um, to do our fifth step with. But the great thing now is that there are so many alcoholics all over the world and in our own communities, um, that we can go to. Um, so we don't, we don't have this problem. We, we just have to look around, find an AA meeting, find a zoom meeting, um, and there will be somebody that can help you to take you through your steps. Um, it's good to find somebody that you're comfortable with um, because you're going to be telling them your whole life story. Um, but like the book later says um, in the next paragraph, it says we, we must not use this as a mere excuse to postpone. Like this is, this is work that we need to do um, quickly because um, after a certain amount of time, I'm going to forget why it is so important for me to get this stuff done so quickly. And it's because it's a life or death matter. Um, if I don't get through the steps, if I don't find my solution and connect to my higher power, um, if I'm not honest with somebody about my defects of character and the things I've done to other people, um, if I don't follow through the rest of the steps, I'm going to get drunk. Um, and for me, um, and for most alcoholics to drink is to die. So notwithstanding the great necessity for discussing ourselves with someone, uh, it may be one is so situated that there is no suitable person available. And that's, this is, you know, again, directed to the person who's received this in the mail and is the only person in their community uh, who, you know, is trying to become a recovered alcoholic. And, you know, there's no internet or anything like that because it's the thirties. What a time to be alive. If that is so, the step may be postponed. Only, however, if we hold ourselves in complete readiness to go through with it at the first opportunity. We say this because we're very anxious that we talk to the right person. It is important that he be able to keep in confidence, that he fully understand and approve what we are driving at, that he will not try and change our plan. But we must not use this as a mere excuse to postpone. <clears throat> when we decide who is to hear our story, we waste no time. Here's that, that time again. We waste no time. We want to get through this stuff as quickly as possible. We have written an inventory and we are prepared for a long talk. Um, I wrote my inventory in step four. We explain to our partner what we are about to do and why we have to do it. We should realize that we are engaged upon a life and death errand. Most people are approached in this way and will be glad to help. They will be honored by our confidence. Um, and all alcoholics should be glad to help. Um, because this helping other alcoholics is my, my, my 12 step work, um, working one-on-one -on -one intensively with another alcoholic is, um, you know, what keeps me sober. And so I should be glad, um, and honored, um, to hear somebody else's whole life story. We pocket our pride and go to it, illuminating every twist of character, every dark cranny of the past. Once we have taken this step withholding nothing, we are delighted. We can look the world in the eye. We can be alone at perfect peace and ease. Our fears fall from us. We begin to feel the nearness of our creator. We may have had certain spiritual beliefs, but now we begin to have a spiritual experience. That feeling that the drink problem has disappeared will often come on strongly. We feel we are on the broad highway walking hand in hand with the spirit of the universe. Okay, so I've done this. I've done my fifth step. I've been honest with my... Um, with my sponsor, 
And um, now I feel like I can look the world in the eye. I feel like I have got no, nothing hidden anymore because I've been perfectly honest with somebody. Um, for me, my spiritual experience was kind of, was realizing um, what in my life was objectionable. Um, I no longer felt comfortable with being dishonest. Um, I didn't feel comfortable with being selfish. Um, I knew that my fears were objectionable. Um, returning home, we find a place where we can be quiet for an hour, carefully reviewing uh, what we have done. We thank God from the bottom of our heart that we know him better. Taking this book from our shelf, we turn to the page which contains the 12 steps. Carefully reading the first five proposals, we ask if we have omitted anything, for we are building an arch through which we shall walk a free man at last. Is our work solid so far? Are the stones properly in place? Have we skimmed on the cement put into the foundation? Have we tried to make mortar without sand? So after I've done my fifth step, I've met with my sponsor. We've gone over everything. My first step is not to um, go home and um, rest because after my fifth step, I was exhausted. Um, there was a lot to talk about. Um, but no, my first step is to go home and spend an hour in quiet. Um, it's, you know, I review what I've done. Um, I thank God for showing me my defects of character um, I thank God that I know him better. Um, and then I go and I look at the, the first um, five proposals um, of the 12 steps. Um, I ask God if I've omitted anything. Um, and if I have, then that's something that I need to call and talk to my sponsor about after I've, I've finished with this hour. But like, this is like really like a step-by-step -step thing. It says it's exactly what you know there's five steps in this thing i have to be quiet i have to review what i've done i thank god i look at the um i take this book down and i look at my five proposals and i see if i've admitted anything um so that's immediately what i do after my fifth step um is my work solid so far um have i skimped on anything have i left anything out because what i really want to do um what I want to have done from this point, from, from the start up until this point is to make sure that I've built a firm foundation for my sobriety and for my new life. Um, if I haven't, um, that, you know, there's a chance that I'll become drunk. I, I need to make sure that what I've done so far is solid work. Um, I have to be thorough. If we can answer to our satisfaction, we look at step six. Um, are we now ready to let God remove from us all the things which we have admitted are objectionable. Can, can he now take them all, everyone? If we still cling to something, we will not let go. We ask God to help us be loving. So that, um, you know, that's step six, immediately after step five. I've, I've checked to see if my work is solid, and now I'm willing to have God remove all of my defects of character. Um, there are some things... Um, you know, that I might still be wanting to hold on to just because they're more comfortable. Um, like my fearfulness, um, was one that I, I was very comfortable with because, um, my fear of putting myself out there, my fear of meeting new people, um, my fear of really everything, riding the bus, um, like living in that fear was what I was comfortable with. Um, and I didn't know if I was ready to let that go. 
But what I needed to do was um, be willing to have God remove that um, in the future. Um, when ready, we say something like this. Okay, so this is this the um, step seven prayer. Uh, my creator, I'm now willing that you should have all of me, good and bad. I pray that you now remove from me every single defect of character, which stands in the way of my usefulness to you and my fellows. Grant me strength as I go out from here to do your bidding. Amen. We have then completed step seven. Um, so when I finished this prayer, um, immediately after I finished this prayer, my sponsor told me that I, I had to call her. So that's what I did. But um, I almost felt like um, there should be like rays of sunshine, like breaking through the clouds. And I'm like, now I'm like this perfect person because God has removed all of my defects of character, all of these things that I found objectionable. So I should be good now. Um, but the truth of the matter is, is having those things removed is a process. It's something that I need to practice um, every day. And so, um, what, what I've found is that the, the more I do the opposite of what my defects of character would have me do, the less I experience those defects of character. So um, if, if one of my defects of character, if, if I'm fearful, if I'm self-seeking and fearful, um, the best way um, to have God remove that for me is to do some action on my part, which is to um, go out and talk to people go out and do the things that I'm afraid to do, do the opposite of what I naturally would do as an alcoholic. And the more that I do that, um, the more I can see God working on those defects and chipping away at them. Um, so um, God will do for me what I can't do for myself, um, which is, um, you know, give me the, the, you know, he'll give me the power to get rid of those defects of character, but I need to do what I can do. And, um, that's, um, taking some steps of action, um, and, um, you know, um, doing my part to get rid of those defects of character. Now we need more action without which, uh, we find that faith without works is dead. Let's look at steps eight and nine. We have a list of all persons we, uh, we have harmed and to whom we are willing to make amends. We made it when we took inventory. Uh, we subjected ourselves to drastic self-appraisal. Now we go out to our fellows and repair the damage done in the past. We attempt to sweep away the debris, which is accumulated out of our effort to live on self-will and run the show ourselves. If we haven't the will to do this, we ask until it comes. Remember, it was agreed at the beginning that we would go to any lengths for victory over alcohol. And I love that they put that reminder right there because, you know, I've gotten, I've gotten so far, um, I've done, um, you know, I, I know what, uh, I've done my step one out in the wild, um, while I was drinking, um, you know, I, I was, uh, willing to believe that, um, a higher power could restore me to sanity. I became willing to do this work. I made my inventory. I met with my sponsor for my fifth step. Um, I asked God to remove my defects of character, um, but now um, I have to go out and make right the wrongs that I did, which is scary um, because I'm not used to being honest. Um, and um, I'm, not, I'm not used to owning up to the mistakes that I've made. 
but the book reminds me, um, I was willing to do whatever it took. Um, and I agreed to that in step three. Um, so I was really thankful for that reminder. Um, so, but I've got my list of all the persons that I've harmed. I made it when I did my inventory. So I'll take all those names and I'll put them on a list. Um, and, um, there I see all the people that I need to go out and make amends to, whether it's, um, you know, now or later, um, those are the people that I need to make right my wrongs. Probably there are still some misgivings. As we look over the list of business acquaintances and friends we have hurt, we may feel diffident about going to them on a spiritual basis. Let us be reassured. To some people, we need not and probably should not emphasize the spiritual feature on our first approach. Um, let me just make sure. Uh, we might prejudice them. At the moment, we are trying to put our lives in order, but this is not an end in, in itself. Our real purpose is to fit ourselves to be, excuse me, of maximum service to God and the people about us. It is seldom wise, uh, seldom wise to approach an individual who still smarts from our injustice to him and announce that we have gone religious. In the prize ring, this would be called leading with the chin. Why lay ourselves open to being branded fanatics or religious wars? We may kill a future opportunity to carry a beneficial message but our man is sure to be impressed with a sincere desire to set right the wrong. He's going to be more interested in a demonstration of goodwill uh, than our talk of spiritual discoveries. Um, so this is just the importance of how we're, um, this is just talking about how we are to go um, and approach the person that we've wronged. Um, we're not supposed to go up to them and be like, Hey, I found God. Like, listen, listen all, let me tell you all about this 12-step program that I'm following. Um, instead, um, we should go to them um, with them in mind and, and, and forget about ourselves. For, you know, let them know. It, it says in the next paragraph that um, we don't use this as an excuse for shying away from the subject of God. Um, so if the opportunity to talk about God or our higher power arises, then we should go for it. But that's not the uh, main purpose of this conversation. It's not to tell them really what we've been up to. It's to clean up our side of the street. When it will serve any good purpose, um, we are willing to announce our convictions with tact and common sense. The question of how to approach the man we hated will arise. Uh, it may be he has done more harm, done us more harm than we have done him. And though we may have acquired a better attitude towards him, we are still not too keen about admitting our faults. Nevertheless, with the person we dislike, we take a, the bit in our teeth. It is harder to go to an enemy than to a friend, but we find it much more beneficial to us. We go to him in a helpful and forgiving spirit, confessing our former ill feeling and expressing our regret. Um, and this is a paragraph that, um, I read a few times before going to um, different people that I needed to make amends to, because there are some people I just, I really just did not care for. Um, and um, there are still some people that I need to make amends um, that I did not care for, but I know that it's important. The importance isn't me feeling um, it's not becoming necessarily friends with these people, it's cleaning up my side of the street. So um, while I may not care for this person, um, I need to do this in order to stay sober. Under no condition do we criticize such a person or argue. Simply we tell him that we will never get used, 
never get over drinking until we have done our utmost to straighten out the past. We are there to sweep off our side of the street, realizing that nothing worthwhile can be accomplished until we do so. Never trying to tell him what, what he should do. His faults are not discussed. We stick to our own. If our manner is calm, frank, and open, we will be gratified with the result. So this paragraph tells me exactly how I'm supposed to go to somebody to make amends. Uh, in nine cases out of 10, the unexpected happens. Sometimes the man we are calling upon admits his own fault. So feuds of years standing melt away in an hour. Rarely do we fail to make satisfactory progress. Our former enemies sometimes praise what we are doing and wish us well. Occasionally, they will offer assistance. It should not matter, however, if someone does throw us out of his office. We have made our own demonstration, done our part. It is water over the dam. So the important thing is that we made amends, not necessarily um, what the outcome is. Like, we need to make these amends regardless of what we think the outcome may be. Um, Most alcoholics owe money. We do not dodge our creditors. Telling them what we are trying to do, we make no bones about our drinking. They usually know it anyway, whether we think so or not. Uh, Nor are we afraid of disclosing our alcoholism on the theory it may cause financial harm. Approached in this way, the most ruthless creditor will sometimes surprise us. Arranging the best deal we can, we let these people know we are sorry. Our drinking has made us slow to pay. We must lose our fear of creditors no matter how far we have to go, for we are liable to drink if we are afraid to face them. And again, it's the... Uh, the act of us doing this, um, not necessarily the outcome. So while our creditors may be forgiving, um, they also may not be. Um, and we need to, we need to not be afraid to face them regardless of the outcome. Um, perhaps we've committed a criminal offense, which may land us in jail. If it were known to the authorities, we may be short in our accounts and unable to make good. We have already admitted this in confidence to another person, but we are sure we are sure we would be imprisoned or lose our job if it were known. Maybe it is only a petty offense such as padding the expense account. Most of us have done that sort of thing. Maybe we are divorced and have remarried, but haven't kept up the alimony to number one. She is indi- uh, indignant about it and has a warrant out for our arrest. That's common form of trouble too. Although these reparations take innumerable forms, there are some general principles which we find guiding. Reminding ourselves that we have decided to go to any lengths to find a spiritual experience, we ask that we be given strength and direction to do the right thing, no matter what the personal consequence may be. We may lose our position or reputation or face jail, but we are willing. We have to be. We must not shrink at anything. Usually, however, other people are involved. Therefore, we are not to be the hasty and foolish martyr who would needlessly sacrifice others to save himself before the alcoholic pit. A man we know had remarried. Because of resentment and drinking, he had not paid alimony to his first wife. She was furious. She went to court and got an order for his arrest. He had commenced our way of life, had secured a position, and was getting his head above water. It would have been impressive heroics if, we, if he had walked up to the judge and said, Here I am. We thought he ought to be willing to do that if necessary, but if he were in jail, he could not provide, he could provide nothing for either family. We suggested he write his first wife, admitting his faults and asking forgiveness. He did, and also sent a small amount of money. He told her what he would try to do in the future. He said he was perfectly willing to go to jail if she insisted. Of course, she did not, and the whole situation has long since been adjusted. So the important thing um, here is that he... Um, uh, 
talked with other people first before doing this. Um, I, as an alcoholic, I'm really, I'm used to doing things very impulsively without thinking first. Um, but, um, he, you know, he talked with other people. He got, um, some insight from other people and some advice from other people didn't go in there, you know, guns blazing, walking up to the judge saying, here I am, like I owe money. Um, he thought about it first, um, you know, and so, um, that way was able to make sure that, uh, he got the best deal that he possibly could. So, um, okay. I'm going to pass it over to Kat. Okay. Okay. Thanks guys. Thanks guys. Hi. I'm going to try this on a pillow. It works. It works. Okay. Thanks for the book. Hi, my name is Catherine. I'm a recovered alcoholic. Um, Oh, it's so weird. It's so quiet. Hello, everybody. Nobody's on video. Mm -hmm. Okay. I hope you guys are all doing awesome things. Oh, look, there's Sarah. Hi, Sarah. Um, okay. So we're into action right now, which is pretty great because it doesn't say into thinking about it or into feeling or into, um, you know, sitting around talking about our feelings um into action so we're into doing stuff which this is a program of doing stuff which is good because if it was in a program of feeling things then i would be in a lot of trouble because most of the time i don't feel good um and i'm not real good at changing my feelings uh but i'm pretty good at doing stuff so if you tell me to do some stuff i can do some stuff and um the thing is like where we are and what it reminds us where we're in the middle of the amends. Um, it says that we would do anything to, um, sorry, the dogs on the book. Okay. It says, uh, remember it was agreed we would go to any lengths for victory over alcohol. It says that on page 76. And then on page 77, it says our real purpose is to fit ourselves to be of maximum service to God and the people about us. So we made the decision to do that in, on, in um, step three, and we did it. So we have to get this connection to God so that we don't die from alcoholism. So we're, we, what we're doing right now is removing all of the stuff that's blocking us off from God so we can have this relationship with our creator that's going to give us an experience that's sufficient to overcome alcoholism, which is a big deal. That's really hard to do. That's why this is kind of drastic and um, you can't kind of go about it kind of like half butted. I don't know. I'm trying not to swear um, with a half a butt. You have to, you have to actually do it. And it's, it's one of those things where it's like, particularly when we talk about the legal stuff or the financial stuff, like I had trouble with the financial stuff. Like you don't want to do that. It's terrifying and the legal stuff. It's like, well, I can't do, I can't do that, you know? And there are some caveats in that with the financial stuff and the legal stuff that you do have to talk about it with other people who are involved before you do anything. But that doesn't mean that you shrink. That's not like a loophole. Um, it just means you have a conversation. And then the other thing to remind yourself on page 74 is that it says uh, we must be hard on ourselves, but always considerate of others. So that's true in the amends process. 
But that doesn't mean like you don't not make an amends because you're like, oh, but it could maybe hurt them. I think maybe like you talk to your sponsor about it first and foremost. And we're going to talk a little bit more about that um, here starting on page 80. And so it says before taking drastic action, which might implicate other people, we secure their consent. If we have obtained permission, have consulted with others, that's your sponsor, ask God to help. Number one, always talk to God before you you make any amends because I promise you, like, you will mess them up if you don't. I know this from experience. Um, And the drastic step is indicated we must not shrink. This brings to mind the story of one of our friends. While drinking, he accepted a sum of money from a bitterly hated business rival, giving him no receipt for it. He subsequently denied having received the money and used the incident as a basis for discrediting the man. So he was like, so he took the money and and then the the guy was like, I gave you this money for the thing. And the guy was like, no, you didn't. And then um, told everybody else, um, like, oh, he lied about this. He didn't give me the money um, and ruined his business. Uh He thus used the wrongdoing as a means of destroying the reputation of another. In fact, his rival was ruined. Um, He felt that he had done a wrong he could not possibly make right. If he opened that old affair, he was afraid it would destroy the reputation of his partner. So his business partner disgraced his family and take away his means of livelihood. What right had he to involve those dependent upon him? How could he possibly make a public statement exonerating his rival? After consulting with his wife and partner, he came to the conclusion that it was better to take those risks than to stand before his creator guilty of such ruinous slander. He saw that he had to place the outcome in God's hands or he would soon start drinking again and all would be lost anyhow. He attended church for the first time in many years. After the sermon, he quietly got up and made an explanation. His action made widespread approval. Today, he is one of the most trusted citizens of his town. This all happened years ago. Uh, you will be shocked by the kinds of reactions that you can get when you are actually just honest about the kinds of real messed up things that you've done in the past. Um, The book says nine times out of 10, the unexpected happens. Uh, The chances are we have domestic troubles. Perhaps we are mixed up with women or men in a fashion we wouldn't care to have advertised. It's like, you don't say. Uh, We doubt if, in this respect, alcoholics are fundamentally worse than than other people. Uh, But drinking does complicate sex relations in the home. After a few years with an alcoholic, a wife gets worn out, resentful, and uncommunicative. How could she be anything else? The husband begins to feel sorry, lonely, sorry for himself. He convinces to look around in the nightclubs. They're really nice about this. Uh, They're, like, really giving the alcoholic a lot of excuses for cheating on his wife here. He begins to look around in the nightclubs or their equivalent for something besides liquor. Perhaps he is having a secret and exciting affair with the girl who understands. In fairness, we must say that she might understand, but we're what are we going to do about a thing like that? A man so often, a man so involved, often feels very remorseful at times, especially if he is married to a loyal and courageous girl who has literally gone through hell for him um, or guy, which sometimes so. That those are the people that we're married to. Whatever the situation, we usually have to do something about it. If we are sure our wife or husband does not know, should we tell her? Not always, we think. If she knows in a general way that we have been wild, should we tell her in detail? Undoubtedly, we should admit our fault. She may insist on knowing all of the particulars. She will want to know who the woman is and where she is. We feel we ought to say to her that we have no right to involve another person. 
We are sorry for what we have done, and God willing, it shall not be repeated. More than what we, more than that, we cannot do, and we have no right to go further. Though there may be justifiable exceptions, and though we wish to lay no, down no rule of any sort, we have often found this is the best course to take. Sponsorship here is super important. So, even to this day, before I make amends, I, I talk to my sponsor about it. Um, I don't just go run off and make amends. Um, here is especially true. So if I have cheated on someone and then I have no, like it's the other person is immaterial. I've been one who's done the wrong. Um, and bringing in the jealousy of it is not going to help anything. And then, but also like telling someone about the harm that I've done to them, if they don't know about it, is not necessarily going to help anything anyway? But I still have to make amends in some way. And that's something sponsorship, a sponsor is, is going to be able to walk you through. Um, I, in and of myself, could never have done that. I really needed my sponsor's help to guide me and show me how to do it. And that made it so much easier. I was able to make amends for things that I never thought I'd be able to make amends for. Um, our design for living is not a one-way street. It's as good for the wife as for the husband. Um, if we can forget, so can she. It is better, however, that one not needlessly name a person on, upon whom she can vent jealousy. Perhaps there are some cases where the utmost frankness is demanded. No outsider can appraise such an intimate situation. It may be that both will decide that the way of good sense and loving kindness is to be, is to let bygones be bygones. Like, I want to be in that relationship. <laughs> Each may might pray about it, having the other one's happiness upmost in mind. And um, so part of what I'm doing in amends generally is, is to make things right for the other person. It's not about me. It's more about them. But also like when I'm, when I'm trying to resolve conflicts in a relationship, that's the other thing I need to keep in mind. What's going to, what's going to make everybody happy. Keep in, keep it always in sight that we are dealing with the most terrible human emotion, jealousy, good generalship made decide that the problem be attacked on the flank. So like on the side, rather than risk a face-to-face combat. If we have no such complication, there's plenty we should do at home. Sometimes we hear an alcoholic say that the only thing he needs to do is to keep sober. Certainly he must keep sober for there will be no home if he does not. But he is yet a long way from making good to the wife or parents whom for years he is so shockingly treated. Um, so one of the things it says in the doctor's opinion is that the alcoholic life seems the only normal one. For a long time, we, I did not realize how shocking my treatment was. Like I knew in a roundabout way it was terrible, but I didn't know until I did my fifth step how terrible. Passing all understanding as the patients, mothers and wives have had with us alcoholics. Had this not been so, many of us would have no ones today, would perhaps be dead. The alcoholic is like a tornado roaring its way through the lives of others. Hearts are broken, sweet relationships are dead, affections have been uprooted, selfish and inconsiderate habits have kept the home in turmoil. That's not drinking, that's me. We feel a man is unthinking, meaning like you're not really being real about the whole situation, when he says that sobriety is enough. In fact, when I'm sober, I'm way more a terrible person than I am when I'm drunk. Um, because I'm not drunk. When I'm drunk, I t- tend to be pretty happy. <laughs> he is like the farmer who came up out of his cyclone cellar to find his home ruined to his wife 
He remarked, don't see anything the matter here, Ma. Ain't it grand the wind stopped blowing? Yes, there is a long period of reconstruction ahead. We must take the lead. A remorseful mumbling that we are sorry won't fit the bill, fill the bill at all. We ought to sit down with the family and frankly analyze the past as we now see it, being very careful not to criticize them. Their defects may be glaring, but the chances are that our own actions are partly responsible. I love that they're like, the chances are that maybe you might have caused this. And it's like, no, actually, you probably caused this. Like 99 times out of 10, this is your fault. So we clean house with the family, asking each morning in meditation that our creator showed the, showed the way of patience, tolerance, kindliness, and love. Um, I'm going to do one more paragraph, and then I'll talk about that. The spiritual life is not a theory. We have to live it. Unless one's family expresses a desire to live upon spiritual principles, we think we ought not to urge them. We should not talk incessantly to them about spiritual matters. They will change in time, or they may not. Our behavior will convince them more than our words. We must remember that 10 or 20 years of drunkenness would make a skeptic out of anyone. Okay. So 10 or 20 years of drunkenness, it's like your family, your closest people in your life, like your family relationships, people you really love, they're going to take the longest to adjust or forgive and, and maybe forget. They may never forgive. Again. And um, a man, like a single amends, a mumbling, an apology, a month of sobriety isn't going to necessarily do it. That's what this is saying. It's like, you're going to really have to sit down and be willing to, to listen to what they have to say. And then when they continue to react to you as if you are an alcoholic, which they might, um, because you are, it's saying patience, tolerance, kindliness, and love. And it took my family a long time to, um, adjust. And some of them still kind of have a hard time with that. And, um, and, and they get weird when I say stuff like, I'm going to go hang out with the drunks. And I'm talking about the alcoholics, but they're like, wait, what? And then they you know, sort of freak out. And I'm like, no, no, no. I mean, the alcoholics at AA. Um, but it's, it's like, I caused that. I, I caused that fear through my own drinking. And if they continue to react to me like I am an irresponsible alcoholic because for most of my adult life, I was an irresponsible alcoholic and that is my fault. Um, I have to live my spiritual life, whether or not my family does. And the other side of the fence though, is that some people have families that are like, they've been living spiritual lives, like their whole lives. And like, they're like way advanced on a spiritual plane and they didn't have to be dying alcoholics to do it. I love it when that happened. I'm like, Oh, so you guys just got this down because you just felt like it. Um, I don't need to talk about spiritual matters. I don't need to talk about how I'm different. I just need to follow this program and my behavior will convince them more than my words. Um, it says there may be some wrongs we can never fully write. We don't worry about them if we honestly say to ourselves we can write them if we could. That's about motives, right? Um, there were people that didn't want to see me, didn't want to have anything to do with me. And there were some things that I will never be able to fix. Some people cannot be seen. I mean, physically cannot be seen. Like my mother cannot be seen. I had to write her an honest letter, sit down, read it to her, spend time there and wait for directions, which came. Um, 
there may be a valid reason for postponement in some cases. Like for instance, it is very expensive to go to another city or state to make amends. And I did not have a lot of money when I got sober. So I had to wait a little bit, which was not good. I did not enjoy that. Um, I don't recommend it. We should be sensible, tactful, considerate, and humble without being servile or scraping. As God's people, we stand on our feet. We don't crawl before anyone. What That's something that if you feel like that is something that's operating in your amends process, you need to talk to your sponsor about it. Um, I can't think of a lot of times where I've really seen that little clause in there about being servile or scraping engaged. But um, my job is to make what's right for the other person and do and, and to do it on their terms. So, period. I was one who caused the wrong. Um, if we're paying, so this is why it's it's not pleasant to like wait two years to make a lot of your amends. If we're painstaking about the space of our development, we'll be amazed before we're halfway through. We're going to know a new freedom and a new happiness. So, like, I had to wait. I know it's not good. We will not regret the past nor wish to shut the door on it. I mean, how cool. We will comprehend the word serenity and we will know peace. No matter how far down the scale we have gone, we will see how our experience can benefit others. So that feeling of uselessness and self-pity will disappear. We will lose interest in selfish things and gain interest in our fellows. Self-seeking will slip away. Our whole attitude and outlook upon life will change. Fear of people and economic insecurities will leave us. We will intuitively know how to handle situations... <laughs> which used to baffle us. We will suddenly realize that God is doing for us what we could not do for ourselves. And um, uh, it says that we will be amazed before we're halfway through. So the first couple of AA meetings that I went to, they had these promises on the wall. I didn't know anything about AA. And I was like, that sounds great. Do I get that through going to these meetings? No, I get that through working these steps and doing these amends. And I get it before I'm halfway through the amends. It says, are these extravagant promises? We think not. They are being fulfilled among us, sometimes quickly, sometimes slowly. They will always materialize if we work for them. That's why the title of this chapter is Into Action. You actually have to do stuff, not just show up at meetings. This thought brings us to step 10. So we're going to have to do more stuff. Sorry, guys. Which suggests we continue to take personal inventory and continue to set right any new mistakes as we go along we vigorously which means like with vigor which like i always think of vigor is like those videos like not videos like movies of like from the 50s of guys working out with like um barbells on the beach like with their like muscle shirts on and they're like with vigor um commence this way of living as we cleaned up the past so i started doing step 10 as i'm doing step step nine we have entered the world of the spirit. Our next function is to grow in understanding and effectiveness. This is not an overnight matter. It should continue for a lifetime. So we've done five, six, seven, eight, and nine, and now we're on 10, all in about, God, like 12 pages. Um, four should take like a week, if, if, if that. Five, six, seven, eight, nine, you start over the period of a couple of days. 10, you start doing immediately. And then you can also start doing 11. So that shouldn't take long at all. Um, we've entered the world of spirit, which you started having a spiritual experience at step five. 
Um, our next function is to grow in understanding and effectiveness. I've done all of this work, cleaning out all the stuff that's blocking me from God. And then I'm going to go out into the world. I'm going to go shop at Walmart. I'm going to get in traffic. Somebody's going to make me mad. And I'm going to get cut off from God all over again. Right? So what are we going to do? Well, we're going to continue to watch. Number one, step one of step 10, watch for selfishness, dishonesty, resentment, and fear. Okay, cool. Selfishness. I want what I want. I'm trying to control situations. Dishonesty, usually about myself. Resentment. I mean, that's easy. Fear, God, all the time. When things crop up, not if. We ask, that's the next action step of step 10, God at once to remove them. The next one, we discuss them with someone immediately. So I call my sponsor. Usually I leave a voicemail. I say, hi, I'm resentful because I want to control everything. And I don't think that God's going to you know, take care of everything. I've already asked God to remove it. And then it says, we make amends quickly if we've harmed anyone. So if I'm going to make amends quickly, then I tell my sponsor that. And it says, then we resolutely turn our thoughts to someone we can help. And I usually say on the voicemail, what am I going to do to help somebody? Well, I'm going to get on the ladies' big book meeting. I'm going to go call somebody and see how they're doing. I'm going to go walk over here and clean the kitchen at work. I did a lot of that. Um, love and tolerance of others is our code. Good luck with that, ladies. And then the step 10 promises, which are huge. And we have ceased fighting anything or anyone, even alcohol. It's like, this is what I needed, right? Like if I had to try to not drink, I was going to drink. But I no longer have to fight alcohol. And it wasn't when I got to step 10 that this happened. It was around when I started effectively doing step 10. I had to learn how to do step 10 and I had to get the will to do step 10 correctly, which was not easy. Um, cause it's weird to watch for those things, to stop, to ask God to remove it, to then call someone, then to go find somebody to help in the middle of your day, just because somebody like is shopping slow, three people across at Walmart. That's a weird thing to do. You have to get used to doing it. Um, last week, earlier this week, it was just, I was just irritated at the world, the whole world. Everything was just making me mad. So I had to 10 step that. And then I had to get on the ladies' big book meeting in the middle of my car in a parking lot. I'm mad at everybody. I just want to punch something. I ask God to remove it. I'm getting on the ladies' big book meeting. I'm going to try and find somebody to help. Like that's a 10 step for me. So for by this time, sanity will return. So we go back to step one. Um, powerless over alcohol in my body. I can't control my drinking once I start, I'm powerless over alcohol in my mind. I can't stay stopped even when I want to. My life's unmanageable because I can't manage the decision to stay stopped. God's going to restore me to sanity in step two, the sanity around the drinking. And that's what we're getting in, in these step 10 promises. Where by this time, sanity will have returned. So if I think about drinking, I had to go to a liquor store yesterday and buy some wine as a gift. It was very weird. It's always weird to go walk into a liquor store because I always find it very confusing now because I just haven't been in one in so long. Like, I just not even, like, not even close to tempted. But if I were, it would have been followed by, that's a bad idea. And then I would have been like, okay, I have to pee. I need to get back in the car and go. Like, that's sanity returning, right? We will seldom be interested in liquor if tempted. We recoil from it as from a hot flame. We react sanely and normally. 
We will find that this has happened automatically. We will see that our new attitude toward liquor has been given us without any thought or effort in our part. It just comes. That is the miracle of it. We are not fighting. Neither are we avoiding temptation. We feel as though we have been placed in a position of neutrality, safe and protected. We have not even sworn off. Instead, the problem has been removed. It does not exist for us. We are neither cocky nor afraid. That is our experience. That is how we react so long as we keep in fit spiritual condition. And on page 14, it says, I stay in fit spiritual condition through work and self-sacrifice to others, right? By doing stuff. Back to the title of the chapter, which is called Into Action. I don't know if I've mentioned that before in this hour. Did I? Yeah. I guess I did. Okay. It says it's easy to let up on the spiritual program of action we are, and rest on our laurels. I'm sorry, guys. I'm probably going to go over a little bit. We are headed for trouble if we do, for alcohol is a subtle foe. We are not cured of alcoholism. So my alcoholism can come back at any time. What we really have is a daily reprieve contingent upon the maintenance of our spiritual condition. So as long as I'm connected to God, I'm fine. Every day is a day when we must carry the vision of God's will into all of our activities. How can I best serve thee? Thy will, not mine, be done. That's what I have to do every day. It's not that I have to call my sponsor every day, though if I have to 10 step every day, I've got to call my sponsor every day. Um, every day I've got to carry God's will into my activities. I don't have to stay sober every day. I have to carry God's will into my day. These are the thoughts which must go with us constantly. We exercise our willpower along this line. All we wish is the proper use of the will. Um, that's where I get to be willful. And it's fun to be willful along what God wants. It's pretty cool. But I don't stay sober a day at a time. I do what God wants to do, which is hard, but cool. Much has been already said about receiving strength and inspiration and direction from him who has all knowledge and power. If we have carefully followed directions, we have begun to sense the flow of the spirit into us. To some extent, we have become God conscious. That's a big promise. So up until now, we're about to get into step 11. We have begun to develop this vital sixth sense. We must go further, and that means more action. So I always thought of prayer as not, prayer meditation, not as an action step, but it's telling us that it is. Step 11 suggests prayer, so that's talking to God and meditation, that's listening to God. We shouldn't be shy on this matter of prayer. Better men than we are using it constantly. It works if we have the proper attitude. So it tells us um, in, in, I think it's in the spiritual appendix, that the attitude is um, willingness and honesty and work at it. If it would be easy to be vague about this matter, yet we believe we can thank God. Wrote this book for alcoholics, no question. Yet we believe we can provide some, make some definite and valuable suggestions. So they start off at night, right? So you started doing your amends in step 10 during the day, and then you go to bed. So you start doing your meditation and your prayers at night, right? When we retire at night, we constructively review our day. Were we resentful, selfish, dishonest, or afraid? So those are the step 10 things you're supposed to watch for. So like, did you... 10 step anything um, during the day. Do we owe an apology? Did you not make an amends that you should have made? Have we kept something to ourselves which should be discussed with another person at once? Was there a 10 step that you didn't make? Were we kind and loving towards all? What could we have done better? 
Were we thinking of ourselves most of the time? Were we thinking of what we could do for others, of what we could pack into the stream of life? But we must not be careful to drift into worry, remorse, or morbid reflection, for that would diminish our usefulness to others. After making our review, we ask God's forgiveness and inquire what corrective measures should be taken. So I love that they make it so practical, but um, my sponsor once said was just like, were other people's days better because I was in it today? Like all of that back half of that. Did I make other people's days better? That's it. That's, that's it. Like, did I make them better or not? And it's, it's not a, there's no, there's no gray. Um, on awakening. So then we go to bed and get up the next day. On awakening, let us think about the 24 hours ahead. We um, consider our plans for the day. So I'm not making my, my plans. I'm just thinking about them. Um, before we begin, we ask God. So I ask God to direct my thinking, especially asking that it be divorced from self-pity, dishonest, or self-seeking motives. Under these conditions, we can employ our mental faculties with assurance for after all, God gave us brains to use. Our thought life will be placed on a much higher plane when our thinking is cleared of wrong motives. And thinking about our day, um, so before I get out of bed, I usually ask God to direct my thinking because if I don't, then I just start sort of teetering off into nothing. But usually I've got to get up and do some stuff before I do all of this or I won't, I'll go back to sleep. Um, so God directed my thinking. I love that it starts with self-pity because it knows me. Um, and then once I do that, I don't get so mad when I'm doing things like at Walmart. In thinking about our day, we think we may face indecision. We may not be able to determine which course to take. Here we ask God for inspiration and intuitive thought or a decision. We relax and take it easy. That is like the only place in here where it tells us to do that. We don't struggle. We are often surprised how the right answers come after we have tried this for a while. What used to be the hunch or the occasional inspiration gradually becomes a working part of the mind. Being still inexperienced and having just made conscious contact with God, it is probably that it is not probable that we're going to be inspired at all times. We might pay for this presumption and all sorts of absurd actions and ideas. Nevertheless, we find that our thinking will, as time passes, be more and more on the plane of inspiration and we come to rely upon it. Um, eventually, it just becomes like God tuition, but I'm no longer relying on my rational mind. I'm relying on my God mind. Um, my rational mind doesn't work. It just makes me do stupid things. So we usually conclude the period of meditation with a prayer that we be shown all through the day what our next step is to be, that we be given whatever we need to take care of such problems. We ask especially for freedom from self-will and are careful to make no requests for ourselves only. And I have to watch myself here because sometimes even when I'm making requests for other people, that's still about me because I'm trying to get what I want for other people, not what God wants. We may ask for ourselves, however, if others will be helped. So usually for me, that means removing my character defects so that I'm more useful to other people. We are careful never to pray for our own selfish ends. Many of us have wasted a lot of time doing that, and it doesn't work. You can easily see why. If circumstances warrant, we ask our wives and friends to join us in morning meditation. If we belong to a religious denomination, which requires a definite morning devotion, we attend to that also. If, mem if not members of religious bodies, we sometimes select and memorize a few set prayers, which emphasize the principles we have been discussing. There are many helpful books. Also, suggestions about these may be obtained from one's priest, minister, or rabbi. Be quick to see where religious people are right. Make use of what they offer. So this is the part in the book where it says we add on to our program with what religious people offer, not in substitution of. 
as we go through the day, we pause. This is a big one. Good luck. When agitated or doubtful and ask for the right thought or action. Eventually, I start doing this intuitively. Um, but it seems like every year I see more and more places where I don't do this. And then I start pausing and then it stops happening. It's weird. Agitated or doubtful. And we constantly remind ourselves we are no longer running the show. Humbly saying to ourselves many times each day that will, will be done. We are then in much less danger of excitement. So if I'm excited about something, I can tell usually that it means that like I'm excited about getting something for me and it involves self-will. Fear, anger, worry, self-pity, or foolish decisions. We become much more efficient. We do not tire so easily, but we are not burning up energy foolishly as we did when we were trying to arrange life to suit ourselves, which is true. The more I rely on step 11, the more time I seem to have to get things done. Um, the way that I got really on board with step 11 was literally after going to Walmart and then calling my sponsor and saying, I am so mad about everything. And then she said, did you do your step 11 this morning? And she, and I said, no, I did not. And I realized that every time I didn't do step 11, I just was generally a mess that day. And I needed to do it every day, no matter what. Um, it says it works. It really does. And then it says, we alcoholics are undisciplined, so we let God discipline us in a simple way we have just outlined. And, it, and that's kind of the secret to this whole program. It's not about doing it just once. And that's why four, like four through nine are basically step 10. I do four through nine as a training for what I'm going to keep doing for the rest of my life. And I'm getting disciplined by God into this way of life that I'm going to continue forever. And it's going to bring me into God's will every day. And every day I'm going to, I'm going to be more and more in line with God's will. And my life is going to get easier and more peaceful in some ways, um, which is pretty great. But only if I keep practicing discipline. If I take a week off or a month off, it's like going to the gym or, or working out. Like you, you just get out of shape and, and going back is going to be awful. And, and if you take any time off at all, you risk relapsing. Uh, so I don't, I don't have the luxury of doing that. Um, it says, but this is not all. There is action and more action. Faith without works is dead. Like it says on chapter and page 14, the next chapter is devoted, entirely devoted to step 12, um, which we will cover next week. Thank you for listening to the Alcoholics Anonymous Big Book Workshop. This recording is not associated with any AA group or AA world services. Find out more at ladiesbigbook.com.